I think that the story we just heard might be the greatest story in the entire Bible. And it is definitely my favorite chapter. I know that I say that a lot, but John 21 is one of the most incredible chapters in the scripture. It's the story of Peter and Jesus and the restoration of St. Peter. It's a story of a man who is immeasurably ashamed of something he's done and being forgiven by the one who he hurt. It's a story of peace, of reconciliation, of forgiveness, of mercy, and ultimately it's a story of love. As far as we know, this is the second time that Jesus has appeared to Peter. Now, we heard in the Gospels this is the third time he's appeared, but the second time he's appeared to Peter. The first time he appeared to Peter, he didn't say anything to Peter. And that's very, very important because of who we're dealing with. What did Peter do? He denied him. Three times he denied him. And so there is something in Peter that has yet to be healed. And as he stands on the sea of the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he's got to be... I just picture this man sitting by himself and evening's coming, the sun's setting, and he is so distraught because of what he's done. And he hasn't dealt with it. And i got to believe that, yeah, he's, he was happy to see Jesus, no doubt. But he had to be less excited than the rest of the apostles. Because of what he had done. And he is just waiting for that moment when Jesus is going to reprimand him for what he's done. For running away. I mean, Peter blew it. Badly. And there's got to be great grief in his heart. And I think as he's sitting there, he's just got to be thinking, how on earth am I supposed to lead these guys? I couldn't even stand up for him. And I'm supposed to be the rock? I'm supposed to be the one that, that goes out and leads his church? Surely all of those promises that he made to me, they're gone. They're gone. This is how we think. When we hurt people, when we hurt God, when we hurt family members, we sit back and say, Could, they can never love me again. And so Peter has this great idea. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to my old life. I'm going to go back to work. This is a good image for men especially. When men don't want to deal with something, they just work harder. And so Peter goes, and he goes fishing. I sit back and I'm reading, I'm like, fishing? He hasn't fished for three years. Jesus called him out of fishing. He said, you're no longer a fisherman, you're a fisher of men. But Peter doesn't believe that anymore. How could he? He's the worst of them all. you got to get into your head, you guys. There is no difference between what Peter did and what Judas did. None. They did the exact same thing. They betrayed him to his death. And so Peter is in a terrible place, and he goes out fishing, and guess what happens? He catches nothing. Peter's not a rookie fisherman, you guys. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel and you can go to Galilee, you can see the place where the tradition holds Peter lives. 
lived, and it's actually a, it's a decent-sized house, which means he was a decently wealthy man, which in turn means he was a decent fisherman. He knows the hot spots. He knows how to fish, when to fish, where to fish. And he catches nothing. Imagine the state of this man. <laughs> the heyday that the devil is having with his soul. He can't lead the church, and now he can't even fish. He's got to sit back and say, I am the biggest loser ever. And it's at that moment where this demoralized man, dejected, broken, and lost, is at his wit's end. He is at his worst. And Jesus appears. Not at his best. He comes at his worst. And he says, throw the net to the other side. And boom. There's fish everywhere. And you got to think in Peter's head, Peter's heart. What's he thinking? He's thinking when he first got called. Remember the miraculous catch of fish when he first got called? And Jesus said, leave your boats. You're coming with me. And so Peter's heart kind of jumps a little bit. He says, maybe this isn't all over. He says, it's the Lord. And he he's so excited, he jumps into the water. He swims in. And he gets out of the water. And as he comes up, what's the first thing he sees? A charcoal fire. You guys, there is only one other place in the Bible where the words charcoal fire are used. Does anybody know? Three chapters earlier, when he denied the Lord. Archbishop Sheen said, when St. Peter saw that charcoal fire, it was as if he was experiencing the pains of the fires of hell itself. That fire symbolizes the most humiliating, worst decision he has ever made. If you remember it, it says he's standing around a charcoal fire warming his hands, right? He knows what's happening. He knows Jesus is now arrested and he sees him. He's close enough to see him. And as he's warming his hands, all of a sudden somebody recognizes him and says, Hey, you're one of them. And he's like, No, I don't know the man. And then again, I saw you with him. You're one of his followers. No, I don't. What are you talking about? I've never met him. And then the last one, surely you were with the Galilee and your accent gives it away. And he literally says this. Don't miss this and don't be scandalized by it because this is exactly what he said. He literally says, may God damn me if I'm lying. I don't know him. It doesn't get any worse than that. And it says right as he calls a curse down on himself. The cock crows, and in Luke's gospel, there is this beautiful line. It says, Jesus turned and looked at him. In the ancient culture, in the ancient Israel culture, like if you did something really bad in the family, and then you came to supper that night and you sat down at the table, if your dad looked at you, if he made eye contact with you, not to say anything, if he just looked at you, it meant he forgave you. But if he didn't, you were really in for it. 
And so don't miss this. When it says, G- when Peter denies him, the cock crows, Jesus looks at him and says, and Peter went out and wept. I think that's a terrible translation. It should say, and Peter went out and freaking lost it. And he's not crying. He's not weeping because of what he's done. He's weeping because he knows Jesus has already forgiven him. And there's nothing he can do now. He's a dead man. And so Peter weeps and weeps and weeps. And so I got to believe you guys that that charcoal fire that the Lord built that for Peter. And when they're sitting there eating, Peter's got to be sitting there just waiting. In fear, just waiting for Jesus at some point to look at him and say, Peter, how could you do that to me? How could you leave me? How could you desert me? You, who said you would die for me. But Jesus doesn't say any of that. In the end, I think the Lord only wants to know one question. And it's the one question he's going to ask every one of us. Do you love me? I don't care what you've done. Do you love me? Because that's all that matters in the end. And I always thought, for the longest time, I thought it was breakfast. Or having breakfast. And I thought they were all sitting around and Peter and Jesus, Jesus looks at Peter and all the other apostles are there and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That's not what happened. If you listen, if you read the scriptures in John 21, we finished, right? The last thing that Peter, Jesus says to Peter is follow me. The next verse, it says this. Then Peter turned around and saw the beloved disciple following them. They're not around the charcoal fire at all. Jesus has got his arm around Peter and he's walking with him away from the fire. Saying, Peter, that's done. Because I need to know one thing. If you're going to lead my church, if you're going to be the man that I call you to be, I need to know one thing. Do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Then do something about it, Peter. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Tend my flock. That's what I called you to. And Peter knows it. You ever wonder why there's 153 fish in that net? You ever wonder why they number the fish? Remember, Peter was called and Jesus said, you are going to be a fisher of men. At the time of Peter, the time of Jesus, there were believed to be 153 different nationalities in the world. Jesus reminding Peter, you're not a fisherman. You're going to catch the whole world for me. And then that final line that he says, follow me. It is precisely at Peter's worst that Jesus pulls out his best. And so all of you in this church, wherever you are, I don't know where a lot of you are. Some of you probably suffering bad. Some of you, maybe not so bad. Maybe some of you have blown it. Maybe some have blown it real badly. It's in your worst That's where Jesus is waiting for you. And he wants you to work through this with him. Where you messed up, your mistakes that you made. And where do we most effectively do that? In the sacrament of confession. 
He set it up. He was the divine physician. He knew that we needed to work through our stuff. And if we didn't, it would paralyze us. That's what happens to Peter. He can't do what he knows he's supposed to do because he hasn't dealt with what he's done. And when he does, when he does deal with what he's done, then that man goes out. And we don't remember Peter the betrayer. We remember Peter the prince of the apostles. The rock. We remember the man from the first reading who is scared to death on the Sea of Tiberias and yet in the first reading comes up before the whole Sanhedrin and says, you're never going to shut me up because I'm not afraid anymore. And why isn't he afraid? Because he knows who Jesus is and he knows he has nothing to fear anymore. He knows there's nothing that can't be forgiven. And he knows ultimately he's meant to be with him forever. Jesus made that abundantly clear to him, and he made it abundantly clear to us right there. And he waits. He waits to deal with you. Because all of you have charcoal fires. Don't kid yourself. God isn't interested in you saying, oh, I'm a good person. You're not. Neither am I. You need help. You're broken. And the more you know God's mercy the more you'll practice God's mercy. You want to know why we live in the culture we live in? Because nobody knows God's mercy. That's why everything allowed and everything's allowed and nothing's forgiven. Hatred everywhere. But if you practice it enough, you'll understand that there is literally nothing you can do that God won't forgive. There, there is one thing. Not ask for forgiveness. To the extent that you know mercy, you'll practice it. Did you know that tradition holds Peter, at the end of his life, he had furrows, marks in his cheeks from tears. Not tears that he was crying about his denial. They were tears that he wept every day because he was forgiven. And that forgiveness is what gave him the power to be the leader of the church. And it's what will make us great again, too. Mercy is the greatest gift we can give. It's the greatest gift we can receive. And I think when we finally understand that, we'll understand the power of the Christian faith.